But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as, the, for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, Catherine, for reading today's passage. What are the major turning points in a child's life? The child sleeps through the night, rolls over, starts to crawl, gets a smartphone, gets up and walks, and then begins to speak. The child goes to to school, gets a job, leaves home, maybe, and on and on. What have been the major turning points in human history? The use of fire, the invention of the wheel, the use of bronze and iron, the printing press, the industrial revolution, aviation, the computer, the internet, and if you're my wife, Facebook. And for my children, Instagram and Twitter. And for some of you, TikTok and Snapchat. What are the two major turning points in human history? Paul says the two most important turning points are represented by two people. These two persons are the most influential persons in all of human history. Who are they? Last week's text, Romans 5, 12 through 14, provides context for today's passage. Let's reread it. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. The river of sin in the world finds its source in Adam's one sin in the Garden of Eden, that moment when he succumbed to that most fundamental temptation from the mouth of the serpent. You can be God, Adam. His one sin wreaked untold devastation. It it led to an unending cascade of sin which has infected every human being in every generation since. Adam represents the first major turning. We humans are all Adam's descendants. We are born with a sinful nature by virtue of being in solidarity with Adam, our ancestor. Romans 3 verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10. None is righteous, no, not one. Sin was passed from our representative leader, Adam, to the whole human race, every human being without exception. In many cultures, this idea of solidarity with an ancestor comes easily. Solidarity means to be one with, in agreement with, or united with. 
People have an innate desire to belong. (laughs) We want to belong to a family, to a tribe, or to a community group. When we belong, our sense of identity is strengthened, and we feel more secure. We believe our future is more secure. For us in the West, however, we tend to see ourselves as individuals. We think we individually determine our identity and destiny. We believe we just choose our commitments. We do have examples in our culture, however, of representatives acting on behalf of groups. For example, a trade union gives a representative the power to negotiate a collective bargaining agreement. An elected politician represents the interests of people in their riding before the legislature. A lawyer defends a group of clients in court. Who we choose to be our representative is critical. In our text today, verses 15 to 21, Paul speaks of two families that we human beings can belong to. These two families have representatives, and their lives represent two decisive turnings in human history. Adam is the first one. Adam's sin represented a decisive turning towards sin and death. Because of his decision to be his own God, sin and death penetrated the entire human experience. Adam's experience of death began with his spiritual separation from God and culminated in his physical death, the consequence of his spiritual death. Perhaps we can grasp the magnitude of this shift if we compare it to some of the turnings in our Western culture that we consider to be of great significance. In their provocative book, The Fourth Turning, William Strauss and Neil Howe look back on 500 years of American history and claim to uncover a distinct pattern. Strauss and Howe argue that modern history moves in cycles, each one lasting about the length of a long human life, 80 years. They argue that each cycle is composed of four turnings that last about 20 years. For example... After World War II, in the 40s and 50s, America experienced a high. It was a period of confident expansion as a a new order took root after the old had been swept away. Then came an awakening, a a time of spiritual exploration and rebellion against the now-established order. This occurred in the 60s and 70s. Then came an unraveling, an increasingly troubled era in which individualism triumphed over crumbling institutions. This happened in the 80s and 90s. And at the beginning of the 21st century, we find ourselves in a crisis, the fourth turning, when society is passing through an era of destruction. An interesting thesis. We'll come back to this example in a minute. For now, let's acknowledge that these turnings, which are significant for American history, pale in comparison with the turning that came with Adam's sin. The impact of Adam's sin was pervasive. All humans now enter the world belonging to Adam, that is, spiritually dead and destined for physical death. None of us are born in a neutral state. We are born dead on arrival because Adam sinned. Adam was to reign the world for God, but through him, sin and death entered all of humanity. Instead of Adam reigning over the world, sin and death reigned over him. The hope of humanity for a glorious future was dashed. In verse 18, Paul writes that one trespass led to condemnation for all men. The word for men means people, both men and women. Women do not receive a free pass. 
The one trespass of Adam as the representative head of the human race resulted in the guilt and condemnation of all people descended from him. The sentence has already been passed. Adam's sin represented a decisive turning resulting in condemnation. So this is what we must conclude. All of Adam's descendants, both men and women, enter the world under the reign of sin and death. Because of Adam's sin, everybody dies. Because of Adam's sin, we all stand condemned before God. What is the evidence that all are condemned through Adam? Well, the evidence for the universal condemnation is the reign of death over the whole human race, both spiritual and physical. Even the most superficial knowledge of human history, of contemporary society, and of ourselves confirms the truth of the pervasiveness of human sin and death. Apart from the grace of God, we humans are pervasively and mysteriously sinful. As the French philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote regarding our sinfulness, we remain incomprehensible to ourselves. We are all sinners. Now, We can look this reality in the face, or we can choose to believe the lie that we're essentially good. As Rod Dreher writes in his book, Live Not by Lies, you have to live in a world of lies, but it's your choice as to whether that world lives in you. We can choose to live in solidarity with Adam and tell ourselves that to be sinful and to die is just normal, part of the human experience, or we can choose another way. In our passage, Paul is actually arguing that it is possible to live with confident hope within the realities of this sin-infested world. How would that be possible? Our life experience can change dramatically if we shift our solidarity from Adam to another representative. It can change definitively if we embrace the second major turning in human history. Allow me to illustrate what I mean by returning to the book the fourth turning, written by Strauss and Howe. They would say that how you see the current crisis is intimately connected to the mood and attitude of your particular generation. Are you from the builder generation that will quietly keep on working? Do you fall into the awakened boomer category of the 60s and 70s, often contesting and protesting? Are you a Gen Xer struggling to adapt to our splintering world? Are you a millennial suffering from stress and anxiety? Perspective is really important. For many of us, the pandemic experience was a turning point. One of the things I observed during the pandemic was that people approached it very differently based on their perspective, personal health, cultural background, generation, and knowledge of the disease. My father is 94 years old. He did not worry very much about COVID-19. He trusted the government. I, on the other hand, spent most of my time analyzing things and questioning, questioning the information being provided. My children, by and large, complied with the directives given. They tended to go with the experts. And they knew their parents were not the experts. My point is this. Perspective matters. Our perspective on human life is intimately connected to the representative we belong to. If we embrace the second major turning point in history, our life perspective changes dramatically. If we embrace the second turning, we live with a confident hope. 
Jesus represents the second major turning. In verses 15 to 21, the realities of belonging to Adam or Jesus are contrasted and compared. The main point of the comparisons comes in the second part of the comparisons. For example, I might say, just as the Vancouver Canucks have not been a serious playoff contender for years, so also they will not be a playoff contender this year. The second part of this clause really hurts. We could live with the statement about the past, which we know to be true, if the present was going to be different, if we just knew that the Canucks would make the playoffs this year. In Romans 5, Paul lays out the realities of Adam, sin, and death in order to make a point about Jesus, righteousness, and life. His focus is not on sin and death, but rather on righteousness and life. He's answering the question, how can followers of Jesus be so sure of their confident hope in this age and the age to come? Romans 5.15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The two most important people to have ever lived are Adam and Jesus. They represent the two major turning points in human history. One turning brought suffering on all. The other turning brought healing. Adam is the representative of all humanity. Jesus is the representative of a new humanity. We are born into Adam's family naturally through birth, and we can be born into the family of Jesus through another birth. What does it mean to belong to Jesus? Allow me to summarize what it means to belong to Adam. He was created to reign the world for God. But when he grasped at equality with God, he alienated himself from God and forfeited his right to reign. Because of his sin, we are all born dead on arrival. If we had to defend ourselves before God on Judgment Day on our own, we would not have any defense at all. We would not stand a chance. But then we read about the free gift in Jesus, Romans 5.16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ." Paul emphasizes that the river of God's grace overflows for the many who belong to Jesus. The words gift and grace are repeated over and over again. This grace is lavish. It's more than enough. This grace is not merely undeserved favor. This river of grace is so powerful that it reverses and conquers the destructive, poisonous consequences of Adam's decisive turning from God. Where sin and death reigned, Grace now reigns. The flood of sin that overwhelmed the world has been overcome in Jesus. Christ's one act of righteousness, his not grasping after equality with God and his obedience to the point of death on the cross grants righteousness and life to all who belong to him. The good news is that we can belong to another representative before God, Jesus Jesus' righteousness opens the way to being in the right before God. 
those who put their trust in Jesus as their representative are not only forgiven, they also stand in the right before God. Did you hear that? Christ's righteousness is imputed to them. That is, it's credited to them. This is a lavish gift of grace. When we stand before God, Jesus stands in our place as our substitute. We stand before God in his righteousness. Adam left the world full of many sinners, alienated from God. Jesus' followers are put in the right with God and become God's friends. Jesus restores that which Adam lost. And Jesus not only restores the innocence which Adam lost, he not only reverses the tragic effects of Adam's sin, he actually enables his followers to reign in life. Jesus' righteousness opens the way to reigning in life. For those who belong to Jesus, sin and death have been decisively defeated. Sin and death will never triumph over Jesus' followers. Jesus' followers enjoy power over sin and victory over death. They walk in newness of life now and will reign fully at his second coming. You may ask, what, what, how? This is not my experience. I keep committing the same sins. Death is all around me. Where do I see evidence of power over sin and victory over death? Well, stay with us in this series. Romans 6 through 8 will show us how. In their book, The Fourth Turning, Williams and Howe analyzed the cycles of history. We live through cycles of growth, uh, maturation, unraveling, and crisis. But history is not only a series of cycles. History has a direction. It has a beginning and an end. Those who embrace the major turning that came with Jesus enter a new era. They're members of a new humanity. The signal of this new era is Jesus' triumph over sin and death. These two powers that have frustrated human beings in their quest for life since Adam's sin. Verses 18 and 19 summarize verses 12 through 17 and emphasize something we need to grasp. Romans 5 verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Don't miss the meaning of these verses. We who belong to Jesus do not just return to being innocent Adams and Eves, as it were, now living on probation. No, we have now received the righteousness and life of Jesus. We go beyond Adam. By virtue of our union with Jesus, we actually enjoy the life of God now and forever. The Spirit of God abides in us, and this changes everything. Our justification does not just reverse the adverse effects of sin. It ushers us into life. We now share in the life of God. Jesus' righteousness opens the way to share in the life of God. We followers of Jesus, we live with confident hope because sin and death have been defeated by Jesus, and thus we can be sure that we will share in the new creation. The mandate originally given to Adam to reign the world for God will be realized. Jesus' impact on human history is far greater than Adam's. Hallelujah. Thomas Schreiner, in his commentary on Romans, writes, It's one thing to blemish what is beautiful. But it is much harder to set straight what is already crooked. Cleaning up a mess is much harder than making one. But Jesus has done the more amazing and abiding work. 
A number of years ago, I brought home an alabaster jar from Egypt. The cabinet in which it was housed fell over. The soft jar crumbled. And over the past few weeks, I've tried to piece it together. It's really hard to put together a broken alabaster jar. I will never be able to fully restore it. But Jesus has saved and is saving and will completely save those who belong to him. He will completely restore what has been broken. Here's a quick overview of the contrasts and comparisons Paul has made. The river of sin and death entered humanity through Adam. Because of Adam's sin, death is pervasive. Everybody is born spiritually dead and will die physically. Adam's sin brought condemnation before God. Death now reigns over all of humanity. We are all sinners. But through Jesus, the river of God's grace abounded for many. Jesus brought justification and life. Through Jesus, many are made right with God. Jesus' righteousness is credited to them. Those who receive this gift of grace reign in life now and forever. We all belong to Adam or to Jesus. The question for us today is, to whom do we belong? Now, most of us would be content to ponder the impact of these two representatives and the turning points they represent in human history. But the Jews would have another question. Paul, you've talked about Adam's sin and redemption through Jesus. What about Moses? Shouldn't you include Moses as another representative for humanity? Did not the giving of the law represent a major turning point? Paul anticipates their question in verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In verse 20, the words came into mean to come in alongside or to come into the side of something that already exists. Sin already existed. It was a human reality. The law came in alongside that existing sin reality and revealed even more of that reality. Instead of canceling the effects of Adam's sin or, or restraining sin, it actually came to increase the trespass. What is Paul saying? Adam's first trespass was against a clear spoken command directly from God. It was a violation of a known commandment. Once people had God's written law, the Jews committed not just sins against God's law in their conscience, but even more seriously, willful trespasses. Their sin was now like Adam's sin. The Jews could no longer claim ignorance. The law was meant to make them more aware of their need for grace because the law was simply unable to, to free them from the bondage of sin and death. It gave them no power for obedience. In fact, the people of Israel sinned so blatantly and consistently that under God's judgment, they were driven into exile. So the law was to prove to them that they did not need more human effort. They had no inherent capacity to do the will of God. The law actually accentuated the problem. They needed a rescue. So what is the good news for the Jews and for us? Where the law reveals sin to be even more present than originally thought, grace abounds even more than the increasing sins. 
Literally, sin increased, grace super increased. The river of grace and life is so robust, it literally overpowers the river of sin and death. Whereas sin once reigned in the dominion of death, now grace reigns through the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We've been saved, freed from the penalty of sin. We're being saved with power to not sin in this life. And we will be saved at Christ's return, completely rid of the presence of sin and death. Salvation in Jesus is superbly excellent. We have received the gift of life in this age and the age to come. A question remains. Will all people be saved? If all become sinners through the headship of Adam, then does it not follow that all shall be counted righteous through the headship of Christ? Will hell eventually be unpopulated? Verse 17 provides a clue. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The grace of Christ is not dispensed universally to all people without exception. Only those who receive God's gift of grace belong to Jesus. John 1 verse 12 But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Only those who surrender to Jesus belong to him. We have to put our trust in Jesus. There is no hope for those who remain in solidarity with Adam, who belong to him. But there is certain hope for those who belong to Jesus. Do we remain committed to the first major turning, represented by Adam? Or do we embrace the second major turning that came with Jesus? The major turning point in my personal life was when I embraced the second major turning in human history. I was disillusioned and disoriented. I was imploding internally, broken and unable to put myself together. I could not find meaning in life. But then God drew me to himself. I put my trust in Jesus. I was spiritually reborn. I was forgiven. I was justified. I came alive. I was freed from the power of sin and death. I now belong to God. I belong to his family. Jesus is my representative. I have been gifted with life now and forever. This turning has changed everything, and it's all by God's grace. Would you like to turn to Jesus today? Would you like to belong to him? If you want to belong to Jesus, then pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for coming and dying on that cross in Jerusalem. I thank you for taking my sin upon yourself. Thank you for offering to me the gift of forgiveness, the gift of eternal life. And so today, Jesus, I want to say yes to your invitation. I want to surrender my whole life to you. I I turn from my independence, from living a life that does not honor you. I turn from my own attempts to save myself, and I say, Jesus, I really need you. I accept you as my Savior Teach me how to live. I invite you to rule over my life. I invite you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, 
I thank you for all that you have done for me. Thank you for inviting me to belong to you. In your name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, then I'd invite you to connect with us. Uh, You can go to the website and there's a button there that will lead you toward making a connection with us. And if you know someone that follows Jesus, then talk to your friend or family member about your decision to follow Jesus. And now just something for all of us who are following Jesus, I want to say, are we living the reality of what Jesus has done for us? When you think of what it means to belong to Jesus, are you living the fullness of what that means? Ponder that today, this week. I'm going to leave a few questions for your reflection. And just before I do that, I want to leave with you the blessing of Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May you live with confident hope today. God bless you.